Chapter Eleven of Among Malay Pirates and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. Among Malay Pirates and Other Stories by G. A. Henty. Chapter Eleven. After the meal was concluded, the captain said to the chief, "'Now, Hassan, we want to know how it was that you arrived at the nick of time to save my officers' lives.' "'I had been watching for some days,' the chief said quietly. "'When I heard that many chiefs had joined Sehai Pandash, I said, "'I must go and help my white brothers. "'But I dared not take many men away from here, "'and as I had to hide, the fewer there were with me the better. "'So I came down into the forest near Sehai's town, "'and found the wood full of men.' We had come down in sampans, so that I could send off messengers as might be required. One of these I sent down to you to warn you to be prepared for an attack. Other messengers I had sent before from here, but they must have been caught and killed, for I had been watching closely when they found that I would not join against you. When my last messenger returned I was glad. I knew that you would be on your guard, and would not be caught treacherously. Two of my men were in the town when they began to fire on the ship, and I saw the town destroyed, and followed Sihai to the place where the six prahaus were lying, and crossed the creek and lay down in the woods near the village on the other side, for I thought that something might happen. One of my men went down in the night, and brought me news that the ship was gone, as my messenger had told me that you had questioned him as to the other entrance to the creek. I felt sure that you had gone there. So I was not surprised when, just before daybreak, two guns were fired. We saw the fight, the sinking of two of their vessels, and the attack by the water-pirates, and by the men of the Rajah and the chiefs with him, and I feared greatly that my friends would be overpowered. I sent one of my men down to the mouth of the creek to tell you how much aid was wanted, but he saw the ship steaming up as he went, and so came back to me. Then we heard the ship's great guns begin to fire and soon all was quiet, where the fight had been going on. Then I saw the other four boats start. One of them sank before she was out of sight, and I soon heard that your ship had sunk another, and that two had got away. It was not for another two days that I learned where they were, and then I heard that they had gone into a creek twenty miles away. There one had sunk, and the other had been joined by the two prahus that had been far up the river. And I also learned that one of Sihai's men had gone into the village and let himself be captured, so that he might guide the ship's boats to the place where, as they thought, they would find but one prow, while three would be waiting for them. I was not sure where the exact place was, for there are many creeks, but with one of my men I rode in a sampan all night, in hopes to arrive in time to warn the boats, but it was not till I heard the firing that I knew exactly where they were. When I got there the fighting was over, but one prow was escaped, and I learned from the men who had swum ashore that those that had been sunk, that one of the English boats had been destroyed, and many men killed, but that two boats had gone down the creek again. It was also said that the white officers and the sailors had boarded the boat that had escaped, and had been all killed. I thought it best to follow the prow, so that I could send word to you where she was to be found. As there were many passengers, it was difficult to find her, and I should have lost her altogether had I not heard where Sihai was hiding, and guessed that she would go there. It was late when I arrived at the village. There one of my men learned that two young officers, 
who had been wounded, had been brought there, and that Sihai was sending word to you that unless you gave him the conditions he asked, they would be put to death. I did not know whether to send down to you or to send up the river for help, but I thought the last was best, for if you came in boats then Sihai's men would hear you, and the officers would be killed. So I sent off my man with a sampan. I told him that he must not stop until he got here. He must tell them that all my men, except fifty old ones who were to guard the village, were to start in their canoes, and paddle their hardest, till they came within half a mile of the village. And he was to come back with them, to guide them, and I was to meet them. As the prahos that had been up there were destroyed, the river was safe for them to descend. I said that they must be at the point I named last evening. They were two hours late, though they had paddled their hardest. As soon as they disembarked I led them to the spot, and the rest was easy. I knew that the prisoners who had been taken were my two friends, for I saw them on the deck of the prow, and glad indeed I was to be able to pay my debt to them. "'You have paid it indeed most nobly, Hassan,' the captain said, holding out his hand and grasping that of the chief, when sentence by sentence the story was translated to him. Little did we think, when you were brought on board the serpent, that your friendship would turn out to be of such value to us. There was now some discussion as to the proposed meeting of chiefs, and half an hour later a dozen small canoes started with invitations to the various chiefs to meet the captain at Hassan's Kampong, with assurances that he was ready to overlook their share in the attack on the ship, and be on friendly terms with them and that the safety of each who attended was guaranteed whether he was willing to be on good terms with the English or not. Four days later the meeting took place in the newly erected hall. Ten or twelve of the chiefs attended, others, who had taken a leading part of Sihai's allies, did not venture to come themselves, but sent messages with assurances of their desire to be on friendly terms. A good deal of ceremonial was observed. The marines and blue jackets were drawn up in a long line before the hall, which was decorated with green boughs. A union jack waved from a pole in front of it. The chiefs were introduced by Hassan to the captain. The former then addressed them, rehearsing the service that the English had done to them by destroying the power of the tyrant, who had long been a scourge to his neighbors, and who intended without doubt to become master of the whole district. As a proof of the good will of the English toward the Malays, he related how the two English officers had leaped into the water to save his child, and how kindly he himself had been treated. Then the captain addressed them through the interpreter. He told them that he had only been sent up the river by the governor in accordance with an invitation from Sihai, of whose conduct he was ignorant, to undertake the protectorate of his district, and that on learning his true character he at once reported to the governor that the rajah was not a proper person to receive protection, as not only did he prevent trade and harass his neighbors, but was the owner of a number of piratical craft that often descended the river and plundered the coast. England, the captain went on, has no desire whatever to take under her protection any who do not earnestly desire it, and who are not willing in return to promote trade and keep peace with their neighbors nor can she make separate arrangements with minor chiefs. It was only because she understood that Sihai ruled over a considerable extent of territory, and was all-powerful in this part, that his request was listened to. "'I shall shortly return down the river,' the captain said, 
and have no thought or intention of interfering in any way with matters here. I wish to leave on good terms with you all, and to explain to you that it is to your interest to do all in your power to further trade, both by sending down your products to the coast, and by throwing no hindrance in the way of the products of the highlands coming down the river, charging at the utmost a very small toll upon each boat that passes up and down. It is in the interest of all of you, of the people of the hills and of ourselves, that trade should increase. Now that Sihai is dead and his people altogether dispersed and all his piratical craft destroyed, with the exception of the one captured by Hassan, there is no obstruction to trade, and you are free from the fear that he would one day eat you up. Be assured that there is nothing to be feared from us. You all know how greatly the states protected by us have flourished, and how wealthy their rajahs have become from the increase of cultivation and the secession of tribal wars. If in the future all the chiefs of this district should desire to place themselves under English protection, their request will be considered but there is not the slightest desire on the part of the governor to assume further responsibility, and he will be well satisfied indeed to know that there is peace among the river tribes, security for trade, and a large increase in the cultivation of the country and in its prosperity. There was a general expression of satisfaction and relief upon the face of the chiefs, as sentence by sentence the speech was translated to them and one by one they rose after its conclusion, and expressed their hearty concurrence with what had been said. One of the chiefs said, We know that these wars do much harm, but if we quarrel, or if one ill-treats another, or encourages his slaves to leave him, or ravages his plantations, what are we to do? That I have thought of, the captain said. I have spoken with the chief Hassan and he has agreed to remove with his people to the spot where Sehai's town stood. There, doubtless, he will be joined by Sehai's former subjects, who cannot but be well pleased at being rid of a tyrant who had forcefully taken them under his rule. He will retain the praho that he has taken, and will use it to keep the two rivers free of robbers. But in no other respect will he interfere with his neighbors. His desire is to cultivate the land, clear away the forest, and encourage his people to raise products that he can send down the river to trade with us. He will occupy the territory only as far as the creek that runs between the two rivers. I propose that all of you shall come to an agreement to submit any disputes that may arise between you to his decision, swearing to accept his judgment whichever way it may go. This is the way in which the disputes are settled in our country. Both sides go before a judge, and he hears their statements and those of their witnesses, and then decides the case, and even the government of the country is bound by his decision. I don't wish you to give me any reply as to this. I make the suggestion solely for your own good, and it is for you to talk it over among yourselves, and see if you cannot all come to an agreement that will put a stop to the senseless wars, and enable your people to cultivate the land in peace, and to obtain all the comforts that arise from trade." A boat had been sent down to the ship, and this returned with a number of the articles that had been put on board her as presents for Sehai and other chiefs. These were now distributed. A feast was then held, and the next morning the chiefs started for their homes, highly gratified with the result of the meeting. On the following day the British boats also took their way down the river, followed by the prow with a considerable number of Hassan's men, who were to clear away the ruins of Sehai's campong to bury the dead still lying among them, 
and to erect huts for the whole community. The serpent remained for a week opposite the town, a considerable quantity of flour, sugar, and other useful stores being landed for the use of Hassan's people. Dr. Horsley was gladdened by Hassan's promise that his people should be instructed to search for specimens of birds, butterflies, and other insects, and that these should be treated according to his instructions, and should be from time to time, as occasion offered, sent down to him in large cases to Singapore. To the two midshipmen the chief gave Chris's of the finest temper. "'I have no presents to give you worthy of your acceptance,' he said, "'but you know that I shall never forget you, and always regard you as brothers. I intend to send twelve of my young men down to Penang, there to live for three years and learn useful trades from your people. The doctor has advised me also to send Bahai, and has promised to find a comfortable home for her, where she will learn to read and write your language, and many other useful things. It is hard to part with her, but it is for her good and that of her people. If you will write to me sometimes, she will read the letters to me, and write letters to you in return, so that, though we are away from each other, we may know that neither of us has forgotten the other. Bahai and twelve young Malays were taken to Penang in the Serpent, where the doctor found a comfortable home for her with some friends of his, to whom payment for her board and schooling was to be paid by Hassan in blocks of tin, which he would obtain from boats coming down from the hills, in exchange for other articles of trade. The Malays were placed with men of their own race belonging to the protected states, and settled as carpenters, smiths, and other tradesmen in Penang. Three years later, they and Bahai were all taken back in the serpent to their home. The river was acquiring considerable importance from the great increase of trade. They found Hassan's town far more extensive and flourishing than it had been in the time of his predecessor. The forest had been cleared for a considerable distance round it. The former inhabitants had returned. Tobacco, sugar-cane, cotton, pepper, and other crops whose products were useful for trade purposes were largely cultivated, while orchards of fruit-trees had been extensively planted. Hassan reported that tribal wars had almost ceased, and that disputes were in almost all cases brought for his arbitration. Owing to the abolition of all oppressive tolls, trade from the interior had very largely increased. A great deal of tin, together with spices and other products, now finding their way down by the river. Hassan was delighted with the progress Baha'i had made, and ordered that three or four boys should at once be placed for instruction under each of the men who had learned trades at Penang. There was much regret on both sides when the serpent again started down the river, for it was known that she would not return, as in a few months she would be sent to a Chinese station, and from there would go direct to England. The composition of her crew was already somewhat changed. Lieutenant Ferguson had received his promotion for the fight with the prows, and had been appointed to the command of a gunboat, whose captain had been invalided home. Lieutenant Hopkins was now the Serpent's first lieutenant, and Morrison was second. Harry Parkhurst was third lieutenant, Dick Balderson, to the regret of both, having left the ship on his promotion, and having been transferred as third lieutenant to Captain Ferguson's craft. Both have since kept up a correspondence with Baha'i, who has married a neighboring chief, and who tells them that the river is prospering greatly, and that, although he assumes no authority, her father is everywhere regarded as the paramount chief of the district. 
From time to time each receives chests filled with spices, silks, and other Malay products, and sends back in return European articles of utility to the Rajah, for such is the rank that Hassan has now acquired on the river. End of chapter 11, and end of the series of chapters Among Malay Pirates, by G. A. Henty. Recording by Mike Harris.